This is Lives, and I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. My guest today is singer and performer, Anjali Mitchell. I remember uh, sitting in the pews and like acting like I was playing the keyboard on the back of the pew or act like I was playing the drums, but the thing that I always wanted was to be able to sing like my mom. You think I can sing? You had to hear my mom. Like, if you go to the church, you know, you hear that song that just breaks you down and just makes you want to worship and give all the glory to God. She had that voice to make you stand up. And by the time the song was over, the whole church was standing on their feet going crazy. You know what I mean? So it was in me from the beginning. Raised in North Omaha, Anjali Mitchell has been singing since she was young. Anjali is now the lead singer in the group Anjali and Timeless. Formed in 2017, the band is open for acts such as C.C. Peniston, Keith Sweat, Juvenile, Angela Winbush, Lecrae, and Twister. With solo albums under her belt and a forthcoming album from the group, Angela Mitchell has recently been dubbed The Voice of the City and The Voice of the Street. Angela Mitchell, welcome to Lives. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You grew up singing in church in North Omaha. Yes. And were raised in a musical household. Yes. And I wonder if you could share a little about your childhood and the musical context you were raised in. Yeah. Um, as you said, I was uh, grew up in Greater Bethlehem Temple. Uh, it was on 25th and Erskine. Uh, my father was the organist. My mom was one of the main lead vocalists in this choir. A lot of my aunts uh, were also in the choir. So music was just a thing, especially with my dad playing the organ and my mom singing. I would always go to choir rehearsal with them. And just sit in the pews. I remember uh, sitting in the pews and like acting like I was playing the keyboard on the back of the pew or act like I was playing the drums. But my thing that I always wanted was to be able to sing like my mom. Because my mom, when I say, you think I can sing? You had to hear my mom. Like she was, if you, let's go to the church. If you go to the church, you know, you hear that song that just breaks you down and just makes you want to worship and give all the glory to God. She had that voice to make you stand up. And by the time the song was over, the whole church was standing on their feet going crazy. You know what I mean? So it was in me from the beginning. Um, and they pushed it. Music, music. I started singing with the junior choir and uh, got my first solo. And once that happened, I, I really didn't think I could sing at first. But I was on the back of the church, went on a trip and we were on the back of the bus just playing around singing. And I was singing Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all. And by the time I looked up, everybody was just looking at me. And they're like, we didn't know you could sing. I'm like, shoot, I didn't know I could sing either. And from there, I'm singing in the choir, I'm singing in programs. And so it just, that was the start of it. What else was happening in your childhood? I'm always curious about when people think back to their childhood, what are those things that stand out? You know what? I had a good childhood. I, I would never downplay what my parents did for us because they did a lot. We weren't like rich, but we never went hungry. Uh, I had great parents. My mom was the backbone of our family. Um, friends, I had my brother and my sister. Uh, I was the youngest of three kids. So, you know, always being out playing. And then we moved to an area over by Fondell Boulevard and met my lifelong friend, uh, Dominique. And her, myself, and my sister, we created our own little group, and it was called True Innocence. <laughs> and that's all we did was just wrote songs and sat in the house and 
worked. We actually, we were probably like nine years old and had beautiful harmony. Like it was crazy. It was the harmony that we were able to do. And we did it all ourselves. And um, yeah, that was my childhood. We were really deep in the church. So we were always at church, but that wasn't a problem because it was a safe place for us. We loved going to church. I mean, I still, you know, I may not go as much as I used to, but church is in me. It's my foundation. It's where I come from. So I'll never just say, you know, just throw it to the side because it's definitely got a part in raising me and molding me and making me into the woman that I am right now. But childhood was great. It's been in Omaha all of my life as far as being a child. Lived in a lot of different neighborhoods, but mostly in North Omaha. But um, it was good. So I love this picture in my head of you singing Whitney Houston, The Greatest Love of All, and realizing in that moment, because of other people's reactions, and then your reaction to their reaction, that singing is something that is not only a talent perhaps that you have, but something that is intrinsic to you. What happened next then in terms of you developing this sense of being a musician, a singer, a performer? When I turned about 17 is when I kind of started straying away from church and, you know, going out and, you know, singing, going into studios, meeting different producers. And the first person I met was Alfonso Lee Jones with Icon One Studio. I will always have respect for him. He showed me a lot. He taught me a lot and showed me what I was capable of in places where I doubted myself. He ensured me that this, you got this, like, this is what you were put here for. I was really deep into music, going really hard and really serious about it. And then my sister passed away. And that kind of threw me off track for a couple of years. I ended up moving out of state. Um, and once I came back, it was, uh, I had gave up on music. I quit. I said, I'm done. This It's not for me anymore. But I had friends here in Omaha who knew who I was and knew that music was the only thing that probably could have saved me in that moment. And uh, they brought me back to music, Stacy Webb and uh Padavelli Robinson, I respect for them as well, because if it wasn't for them and them pushing me, I would probably still be sitting somewhere right now, depressed, uh, missing and mourning and grieving my sister still. But the music that they brought me back to allows me to express myself because I'm not an emotional person. So music is my outlet. That's how I speak. Um, it's how I get the weight off of me. Um, if I'm frustrated, I'll turn on some music. If some, I'll turn on a track and start writing. So they they saved my life, and I don't even think they really know how much they did for me by pressuring me, because they pressured me to come back to music, but I'm grateful for it, because I, I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for them then. So I'm, it's like I said, it's been a road, and I am grateful for every twist, turn, up and down, and grateful for the moment that I'm in now, because that created this. It's interesting that you share that music in a very real way saved you and we're not talking about that figurative saving but i mean literal literal when my sister passed i i went into a a major depression you know but i'm one of those people who was like i'm not depressed i'm just mourning but that mourning and grieving can easily slip right into depression and that's where i was and um, they revived me it literally saved me without music and having a focus and something to focus on other than what was going wrong in my life or what was not happening right, that put me in a totally different mindset. So it definitely, in the most literal way you could take it, it saved me. We jump forward a little bit there to the tragic circumstances of uh, your sister passing and the effects on you. There you are at 17. You mentioned Alfonso Jones. Yes. 
what were the next steps then in developing sort of a, a music passion and interest and career? Performing. Actually being out in front of people standing on a stage and them watching me in my moment. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, the Ravenite Cigar Lounge. It used to be, uh, I believe it was in the Exarban area, the, uh, the Mojo, something like that. And we used to perform there a lot. And that was one of the first places that I performed in um, the X Lounge. And just doing that, performing live, and then it turned into studio work, creating the album. I released an album called Set the Mood way back in, in 2000 and sheesh, maybe about 2011, maybe 2010. That was the very first album that I uh, released in the, it was called Set the Mood. Until this day, any show that I have, I don't care where it is, Set the Mood, uh, I would perform that song every time. That was a starter. It started it all. So I definitely keep that in place. Dropped about two albums by myself. And then I just recently dropped an album. I don't want to get too far ahead, but dropped an album with the band. And we're currently working on one right now. What were you trying to explore musically in these earlier years? And how has that changed? What are you trying to capture musically now and to say through music now? You know what? I think my message has always stayed the same. It's just become more intense and more meaningful to me. Because if you listen to my music, I do a lot of love music because I feel like 90s music was the epitome of love music to me. 90s, 80s, 70s, it was all about love, period. They really didn't talk about a whole lot other than love. So that was my basis, love. But if you go to music now, nobody's talking about love anymore. I want to bring that love back. I want to bring the feeling of real R&B. And to me, real R&B is that 90s, 80s R&B music because that was real. It had a message. It had a story to it. I want to bring back the music that has a story. You know how when, when we were young, we would watch videos, music videos. The videos would go right along with the song. So I could maybe just see the video and maybe not know exactly what you're talking about, but from the video, I can get an idea. We can't do that right now. We can't turn the volume down on the TV and watch a video and try to get an understanding of what they're talking about because it, it doesn't correlate. There's no correlation between what you're saying, the message you're trying to send, and the visual that you're giving. So I want to take it back to the basis of when everything told a story, when love was love and everybody was in love and they wanted to be loved. And that's what I want to give back, bring back, bringing back real R&B. And I do that with my lyrics. My lyrics are from my heart. Uh, maybe not everything is from experience. Uh, I've experienced a lot as far as love goes. So I'm able to talk about the downside of love the upside of love, even being on the opposite side where I was the one who was doing wrong. I can talk about that because I've been there. And that bothers me that nobody talks about love anymore. It's R&B is a dying breed and it's been dying for a long time. So I just want to make sure that it doesn't go extinct and I want to bring it back. Where did that come from? Was, it, was there anything sort of missing that you thought, I, I, I need love in my life, that's why I need to talk about it? Or did you just see a lack of love around you? I would just say the lack of love through music because music is an expression. People take music seriously. Uh, you can change somebody's life through music. So if I'm sitting here and I'm listening to music that's telling me to hate, 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 don't love anybody, eventually I'm probably going to start feeling that way because we listen to what makes us feel good, right? So if I can infiltrate that negativity with some positivity, it might change like the the path that somebody's on just as far as love. I can't talk about anything that I don't know about. So love can change. Love conquers. 
love is everything and people are not in tune with love like we used to be. And it's, it's to me, it's really terrible because it's changing the face of the world in all aspects, not just musically. I mean, just everything. You know what I'm talking about? When we talk about racism, when we go to homelessness, when we go to the way that we treat our neighbor, the way that we uh, deal with the homeless man on the corner, we want to take him shoes, but we want to record ourselves doing it. What happened to just doing stuff for the purpose and making somebody feel good? Music makes you feel good. And if it's good music, people are going to be in tune to it because we know that music can change the way a person thinks and sees because we, we see people being affected by music every day. So if we keep on pushing positivity, then they're going to receive positivity. Would you talk a little more about your music creation process? It could go either way, but I'll, I'll, I'll go the simplest way of it. The band creates a track. I'll take the track. I have to feel it first. What kind of vibe is this? Is this like a dance vibe? A, uh, you make me feel good. Is this a sad? Is this a let's make love type vibe? You know, everything has a vibe to it. So I figure out the vibe. Then once I figure out the vibe, I just start writing. Whatever comes to my mind, I, I may sit there, blah, 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 no words, but have a melody. And so I'll record my melody. And then I'll go back and listen to my melody and try to fill that in with words. And sometimes it's easy. But sometimes <laughs> I've had points where it's probably taken me weeks to write a song and then something may hit me in another instance and it takes me 30 minutes to write a full song. So it's all about the vibe. But I, I sit down. Um, I used to didn't have a, write team, a writing team. It just used to be me. So now I have a couple of people. We get together. We sit down and we, we bounce ideas off of each other and we create. Once I get the basis of it, I take it back to the band. If they like it, we run with it. If not, I take it back to the drawing board and redo it. Uh, working with a group of people, I had to learn how to work with the group of people and be able to take other people's opinions. So it was definitely a process for me. I won't say it was just super difficult, but you know, going from, hey, I'm used to doing this by myself to now, what do you think? Or somebody saying, hey, I don't like that. Maybe you should change it to this and being able to accept that and um, change it and not just going off of what I thought because I thought it. But it was definitely a process, but it works. Because it gives me different ideas. And I just had to learn to be able to accept that um, constructive criticism and be able to change things. So it's been a growth process the whole way. Yeah, it's hard to be a creative person and to invite other people into the process. It's helped me within my growth, growth process as far as having patience and being able to deal with constructive criticism. Because that's definitely something you're going to deal with in this, in this business. Because not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody is going to like what you're talking about. Uh, they might not even like the way you're dressed or the way you look. And there's people out there who don't mind coming to tell you, hey, Anjali, you shouldn't have those slacks on. You should probably put on a dress or something. That's fine that you think that way, but this is me. I appreciate your uh, opinion. Uh, duly noted, but I'm still going to move the way I want to move. So it's, it's definitely a process. And it's funny how a writing group will change the way that you deal with other things in life. Because patience, you've got to have patience all the way across the board. I don't think the music industry is particularly forgiving, and it's not an easy place to craft a career. So what were your intentions around making a career out of music? How has the business of being a performer changed since then? In the beginning, it was probably just wanting to sing. Just that. Because I didn't, I didn't understand anything beyond that. It's like, hey, I can sing. You can sing, Anjali. You should sing. Okay, well, I'll go sing. And, uh, you know, once you get into it and you, you start to 
meet different people and you see that their passion for it is way different than your purpose. So you try to, I don't, for lack of better words, you pick up on their passion. It's always been a passion. So don't let me say that it's not a passion, but it grows. A passion changes as you grow. So at first it started as just wanting to sing. And then it turned into wanting to get a message across, wanting to see where this goes. Where can this take me? Um, I'm in the city. I don't mind being in the city. This is Omaha. I love Omaha. I've been here all my life. Besides when I moved out to Denver for a little while, this is my home. So I don't mind it. But can this music take me outside of Omaha? Can it take me to Atlanta, California, Chicago? You know, those different places. And not even that that's where I am right now. Because I still just want to sing because it's my passion. If I never got paid another dollar, if I never went outside of Omaha city limits, I'm okay with that because I love to sing. It has nothing to do with the money. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just being able to be in a safe place for me, a safe place to express myself and sing because singing is, it's in me. I got to get it out. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who, Oh, I've got to make it. I've got to make it. You know, if I make it, that's a blessing. But if I just make it this far, that's a blessing too. I'm not saying you should have a definition of success. Yeah. Nonetheless, I'm sure that many people expect people to have some kind of objective or goal. Yeah. So I think you can find this however you want to. But if I say, what does success look like for you? I mean, how do you think about that? Success is selling out a show to me. Success is promoting a show successfully to where it's sold out. Uh, success to me is in the grocery store and somebody says, aren't you Anjali? And I'm like, I've never seen you in my life. Uh, that's success to me. I'm not money, money, money. We know money makes the world go round. We know we need money. That's, that's off tops. We know that. But success to me is just, like I said, selling out a show, being on a stage, singing. I don't, I don't need the... Contract deals, that's, that's not success to me. Is it a form of success? Definitely. But being able to sell out a show, being able to be invited to places like this, and I don't know you. You don't know me. This is the first time. We, this is success. This is success to me. Being at the Jewel, that's success. Performing at the Holland Performing Arts Center, that's success. Performing at the Strut, performing at the Love Jazz when it was around, that's success to me. People not even necessarily knowing who I am, but saying, hey, you're the one who sings. I've heard you can really sing really good. That's success to me. Now, if the money comes with that, it's beautiful. If stardom comes with that, that's beautiful. And I don't think that I'm little-minded or small-minded or anything like that. I just have a different thought of what success is to me, just like everybody else does. Success to you may be a million dollars in the bank. That's fine for you. But just being in that moment is success to me. And that's genuine. I, I mean that. Many of us listening will know what it feels like to be at a live music event. And I'm just wondering if you would share maybe an experience or two that really captures for you what that spirit, that energy is, why it matters to you that success is selling out a show. I would have to go back to uh, Black Friday at the Love Jazz Art Center, our very first Black Friday, we sold it out. And that was like an accomplishment. Or we can even go back to that. 9-17-17 was the first headliner show that I've ever had in my entire life. 
put the band together. We did the show at the waiting room, 9-17-17, sold out. But imagine being on this stage. And if you've ever been in the waiting room, you know, the stage is there, but you can see the door from the stage. So I'm singing and I'm looking at this door. And I mean, there are people just filtering in. No one's leaving. Everybody's coming in. And this place is already full. It's packed back. And people are steady coming. That, that's what drives me. That's what I love about it. The energy, like you were talking about, the crowd gives you energy. So if you have people that are just sitting there like not into it, they look really dry. You could tell they're not, they're having side conversations, not really paying attention. But when you have that person who, when you're singing, they're like, yeah, and they're moving and they're grooving with you and they're looking at you because you're looking at them. That energy right there, that takes it to a whole different level. And then once that spreads throughout the whole room and everybody is up, you don't have to sing and everybody's singing your words. That's, that's it for me. It gives me chills, <laughs> literally just thinking about it too. The people are singing your words. It's like I wrote this and these people are singing this song. I don't even have to sing it because they're singing it. It's a beautiful thing. You have to have that crowd, that energy. You have to create that energy. You have to include people. You have to draw them in because if you don't draw them in, they're not giving you attention. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to demand your attention. But when you've got the people who are vibing with you, it's a rush. It's adrenaline. Your heart is beating. Show nights, I probably, after a show, I'm probably up until <laughs> 3, 4 in the morning every show night because my adrenaline is, is pumping so hard. I love it. You talked about the passing of your sister. Yes. Elissa Mitchell. Given everything you've discussed, it's abundantly clear that music is sort of woven into you, and yet you were withdrawing from music. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind, so far as you feel comfortable, talking about what was happening then with that tragedy yeah. and how you navigated it through music and what happened to you musically or not at that point. At that point, well, I'll take you to the beginning. My sister, Elissa Mitchell, she was my big sister, a year older than me. She was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 13. So um, by the time she turned 34, it had really ravaged her body, and that's pretty much what it came to, um, heart failure, going to dialysis three times a week at 34. Like So you have to imagine that the change that it made in my sister. And we, we shared a lot of music together, like I said, when we were little, we had our little our group together. Even growing, um, even when I met Alfonso, we we wrote songs together. Um, if I needed that go to person, like if I was stuck, I would call her because she wrote poems, so she definitely knew how to throw words around. So she helped me in those aspects. Um, she passed September first, two thousand and fourteen. Um, I was living in Denver at the time. It uh, it devastated me. I'm just gonna be honest about it. That was. You know, you, you, your sister is your first best friend. We, we knew each other like the back of our hands. We had cut up together. We had did good things together, did great things together. Um, she passed September 1st, and it took me into a deep state of depression that I didn't believe was depression. But now that I look on it, now it was definitely depression. I mean, I found myself sitting in dark rooms all day, uh, not talking to anybody, uh, just cut myself off from everybody. And I had literally said, I'm done doing music. I was done. Um, 
she she was a driving force behind me getting back to it just for the simple reason that after my friends came to me, uh, one of the main things, and it's okay for my friend to say this because she knew my sister and I, she said, your sister would want you to do this. And uh, I thought about that for a very long time, very long time. And I'm like, she would, she would. So let me try this show, see how it goes. And so I had my uh, first show back in 2015, 2016 at the Reverb Lounge. And um, Stacy Webb, she had a uh, show called Woman Crush Wednesday or Music Crush Wednesday. It had double names. So that's what it was under. And uh, I was actually really, um, <laughs> I was mad at myself for that long gap because when you perform, you have to have stage presence. So before I left, you know, from doing music, my stage present was great. When I came back, I was nervous. I barely moved because I looked at a video of me. I barely moved. I couldn't. I was nervous. I was scared. I, I, it had to change. Everything had to change. And my sister, I said, my sister would want me to do this. She would want me to be great. I turned her death into a positive. I used it as fuel to my fire to fuel me. And it did. And it still is. And it will always fuel me. And if for nothing else, I will keep moving for her. Because if she was here, we'd be doing this together. She'd be sitting right here next to me. We'd be, literally, we were doing the flowetry type thing before flowetry came along. The whole singing and poetry thing. Any performance I do, I think of her when I'm on the stage, before I hit the stage. And she gives me fuel. And now it's to the point where it's second nature to me again. It, it stopped being second nature. So I had to rebuild that. And now it's that again. And she had a lot to do with that, along with my wife and with my family, because everybody was pushing me. They knew how depressed I was. So they really pushed me and it made a difference. It can be hard, I think, to give ourselves permission to be grateful for something when it has emerged from something that also gives us, you know, sadness yeah. as well. And I love how you said that allow myself to be grateful for what her death did for me because it did a lot, changed me in a lot of ways. And it's hard to be told that receiving a gift from someone that we love, but it comes at a cost. I mean, these are hard things to rationalize. Very much so. And it took me a long time to rationalize it. And it may be moments where I'm still trying to rationalize it. Clearly music, such an intrinsic part of your life. Yeah. But I wonder, as you look back now on more than four decades, how you see you have evolved as a person because of music. You know what? It's kept me out of a lot of unnecessary situations. Uh, just because the way I look at it is, if you are someone who's trying to be an artist, and let's just keep it, you know, honest, you want to make sure that there's no dirt on you. You want to make sure that nobody come to you and say, well, you did this, or we heard that you're involved in this, or you're doing that. So it's taken me to a place where I allow all the mess to stay away from me because I have a bigger purpose. That's not my purpose. This small everyday trials that could blow up into huge situations, I, I keep those where they are. Being a kid growing up in North Omaha, uh, in the street, no doubt, you know, gang affiliated and all of the above, you know, uh, one of those people who probably shouldn't have made it to C21. You know what I'm saying? So I spent a lot of time 
being reckless and being angry and just not caring. So once I sat down and reviewed myself and looked at myself, it and I grew up. Growth was the main thing. Like I was saying to you earlier, I'm so cool and so calm and just so chill all the time because that's it's a sweet spot for me. I spend so much time being reckless and not caring, uh, but the music has definitely, it's made me more mature. Uh, it's crazy because it's changed the way I dress. Uh, I remember when I first started singing, when I came back, I used to wear jeans and t-shirts on a stage, sweatshirts. Now you see me, I got on slacks, a, a vest, I got on a hat, I'm clean. It, it, it changes you because if it's really something that you desire to do, such as anything else in life, change is definite. You have to change in some way, shape, or form to fulfill that position. So it's changed my mind. It's changed uh, the way I dress. It's, it's changed a lot about me. It's just made me a more open-minded, uh, made me more respectful to people, more understanding, and more open to, what, like we were talking about earlier, constructive criticism. It's definitely made me more mature in a lot of ways, in a lot of areas. You've talked about being more chill, I think is the language you used. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, earlier you shared the word peace, yes. and, and you talked about peace and happiness. But we also were talking off air a little bit about um, anger. And you know, I was talking about resentment yeah. and those kind of you know, negative situations. So some people might address those through a creative expression that tackles those. But you've talked about how you focus heavily on love. Yeah. How have you used music to, um, to handle the more negative sides of the things you've talked about? How music has allowed you to be chill as opposed to um, embracing anger? I have to go back to the young me first for you to understand the older me. Uh, young me grew up on 42nd and Ames in, in the hood. North Omaha, you know, you've got everything around you. When I say everything, I mean everything from A to Z that could, that's pulling you. But um, music, because uh, when I was young, I was, I was so reckless. It's really terrible. If I, I look back at myself and it makes me grateful for who I am right now because I, I was really in the streets. Probably, like I said, one of those people who shouldn't have made it this far in life. And that's another reason why I go so hard from where I came from to show this same little girl who grew up on 42nd Street that, hey, this is not you. Like, this is not the end of it. This is just where you are right now. But it, it does not hinder or change the road where you can go after this. But the music for me is an outlet. Um, when I'm sad, I can, like when my sister passed, I wrote a song because there was no other way for me to express it. Internally, I wanted to scream but I couldn't allow myself to do that. So my scream was in a song. And if you listen to that song, there is literally a scream on there. And you, and it, it, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it because I know what I felt in that moment when that note came out. It, it's a channel. Even when in a situation, in a relationship situation where things are not all the way right, I can write a song and say, here, listen to this real quick. Or read this. This this is a song that I'm working on, but you know it's about you because it's speaking out of everything that we've done. So it definitely gives you a different channel, gives me a different release. Cause as I said, I'm not a I'm not an emotional person. I don't really talk about my feelings and things of that nature, but that music allows me. It's my outlet. It lets me do that and still be in a safe place. Cause maybe that's the thing for me. I don't feel safe. People kind of use your feelings against you when they want to. But in this song, use the song. 
because it's a song. So every time you listen to it, hopefully it makes you feel different about whatever you're feeling. Because it's music. It's supposed to be a story. It's supposed to change the way people think. It's supposed to change your mind and just make you feel better when you're having a bad day. You're having a bad day. Don't you put on a favorite song that you like that's going to make a difference? Just like when you go work out. I'm not working out to slow music. I'm putting on something that's going to get my heart racing. I'm moving because there's a song for every moment. And I want to create that, a song for every moment. And these lyrics and these words, and it's an outlet. It lets me get it out because I probably wouldn't get it out any other way. I do want to ask you a little bit about a paradox, Mm -hmm. I feel. I'm just curious about the tensions between, on the one hand, being someone really public and chill, and on the other, being just a little careful about sharing who you really are, what you're really feeling. And I just say, and I like how you said careful, because I I am an open book. You can ask me anything, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, because like I said, I've, I've had to apologize. I've been apologized too. I've been the one hurt, and I've been the one who's dealt out the hurt. It just makes me a little more careful, because people tend, I won't say everybody, people tend to take your feelings or your emotions and use them against you. I've experienced that. So that's probably the reason that I kind of keep things to myself, you know, in that aspect. Uh, But if it needs to be said, I'll say it. But I'm just, with that, I'll say, on the flip side of that, my wife is changing that about me right now. That's why I say that is change is constant. I'm 41 years old and I'm still changing. Things, my mindset is still changing. Things about me are still changing. Um, I'm just, I've, I've been like that. I'm just, you know, coming from the street, you've got to be guarded. You have to be guarded. You can't, and being the only girl around 20 dudes on the street corner, I can't sit here and say, oh, I'm sad or I'm, I'm unhappy today. No, I'm cool. I'm chill. Everything is good. I have no problems. Even it might be a hundred problems going on behind me, but you know, the, the environment that you're in creates this person who you are on the inside. If it's okay for you to express, then you, you're expressive because it's been okay. It's never been a hindrance for you to be able to express yourself. But when you're in a different position, you have to think about how you express it. You have to express the right things. You know what I mean? But it is a paradox because you just made me think about it. How am I open book but still guarded? But I am. That's, that's Anjali. That's who I am. Uh, but you can ask me anything. I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> Okay, so that's Anjali. Let's yeah. uh, use a quote that I found in an Omaha Magazine article about you. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely quote from your bandmate, Eden Butler. To know Anjali is to love her. What is it about you, do you think, that prompts that kind of sentiment? Eden, uh, she's the, the drummer in the band. Because it's true, you may see me out in the street without knowing who I am. And I'm one of those people that people walk by me and be like, smile. And I may be completely elated on the inside, but you know, I'm just, so to know me is to love me because I'm, I'm really loving. I'm caring. I care for my people. I will break my back for the people who I love. Uh, I will go to the extent, however far it needs to go. If, if I'm, I will go to bat for you. If you are my people and I really love you and we are like that, and I get that same vibe from you, you're definitely, you got a good friend in me. I'm the, per, I'm the friend that's, just because you're my friend, I'm not going to tell you or not going to not tell you when you're wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if you're wrong, I'm going to tell you. But I'm not going to be disrespectful in telling you because you're my friend. And I never want to disrespect you. And at this point, it's family. I don't really have friends. 
you know, I have family. These people are people that I've been around so long or we've just made that connection to where you've you've become family now. So it is to know me is to love me because I'm a very loving person. And if we're on the same team, you definitely got a good teammate in me. But you got to know me to know that because everybody doesn't get that side of me because you don't deserve it. Maybe because you need to be around me longer to get that. I mean, everybody is going to get that level of mutual respect because that's what it's all about. Respect gains respect. To be next to me, like be in my house and come chill with me, that's a totally different thing. You know, because I, I love my people. They love me and you got to know me. But once you do, I swear you'll love me. <laughs> I swear you will. <laughs> so I did want to circle back just a little bit mm-hmm. to the idea of faith. Yeah. And how faith perhaps shows up in your life and your sense of music as this calling. Yeah. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is everything. Without faith, you have nothing. Because in singing and how that relates to faith is, I have faith that one day I'll be on a huge stage. I'll be in the Holland Performing Arts Center. I'll be um, Madison Square Garden. I'll be somewhere. Uh, But if I don't have faith that I'll make it there, then what am I going off of? Just the pure thought is, the substance of things hope for, because I hope to be there. I may not see it right now because I'm here, you know, but if I keep pushing and I stay in my lane and I keep just striving and pushing and grinding, because that's what it's about, grinding and making yourself relevant and staying relevant, it's the faith that gets you there. I can't say specifically what it is, but there's this thing that I've been manifesting for the last five years. Literally, I go to this event every time they have this event for the last five years. They just called me and asked me to be a part of it a couple of weeks ago. That's faith because everybody around me knew that I always, I said, one day I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going, y'all going to come here and I'm going to be up on this stage singing and I'm getting my chance. You got to have faith without faith. No works. You got to put in work. You have to put in the work, the work faith without works is nothing. You've got to put the work in everything in every aspect or it just won't happen. How do I expect to write a song if I'm not sitting down to write it? I know I can have a new song, but without the sitting down and actually putting the brain power to it, it's nothing done. Make my steps and then faith will do the rest. You've got this wonderful new life with your wife, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. And again, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're singing and performing and um, being guided creatively by the idea of love. If you filled your life with, you know, all this love, mm-hmm. are you still inspired to yes. keep writing and performing and creating? Yes. Yep. Because it just gives me a different aspect to look from. But at the same time, I've already been through all that other stuff, so I still have that aspect to look from as well and just present it in a different way. But new loves gives you new feelings. That, Like I said, I've never been so happy in my life. So I can go home and write a song about being the happiest I've ever been in my life and be able to execute it because that's how I feel. I've never been this happy, period. I'm at peace with life. Like I said, nobody can infiltrate my peace because it's mine. And I don't care how much love I have because I've been loved for 41 years. I've been getting love from my mom, my dad, my friends forever. I don't think that'll ever hinder me from not being able to write, just having all the love that I want or just what I had, the level that I have right now. I don't think that'll ever hinder me because it always comes in different melodies 
It always comes in different words and it comes in different choruses. So it's always going to work out is what I think. We talked a little bit about whether or not you'd like to sing something and you talked about doing something a cappella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's not a problem. Uh, Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Ray. Okay. Turn down the lights. Turn down the pain. Turn down these voices inside my head. Lay down with me. Tell me no lies. Just hold me close. Don't patronize. Don't patronize. And I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something it won't. Here in the dark, in these final hours, I will lay down my heart and feel the power if you won't. No, you won't. That was beautiful. Thank you. My mom used to listen to Bonnie Ray when we were kids. That's why I listened to a lot of you know, different genres of music, not just stuck in the R&B, hip-hop. I, I really do love country. Chris Stapleton, Tennessee Whiskey is one of my favorite songs to sing. If it has feeling and meaning, I can get with it. Is there something else that you would like to sing? Um, I'll just sing something that I wrote. All right, it's called Thinking. This is an original song written by me, performed by Angelina Timeless. It's actually on the radio, it's on YouTube, a lot of other different places. But... um. It's called thinking, and it goes. Something about you can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm thinking about you. Late night, all day, early in the morning. You're even in my dreams when I'm sleeping. Got me up all night and I'm thinking. Thinking about everything we could be. I can be everything that you need. Thinking about all the possibilities. If you give me your hand, give me a chance. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you have been dubbed the voice of the city, the voice of the street. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing, what does that mean to you? What does that mean for you? What does it mean to me? Coming from the streets, it means everything. It means a lot. It means that the people that I'm doing it for are really listening and they hear me. Even though I'm doing love music, it's still for the streets. People in the streets want to be in love. Uh, Voice of the city, that blows my mind. I never, and I say this all the time, just coming from where I come from, I never thought I would be at the level that I am now. I never thought that I would 
have 90% of the opportunities that I've had in my life. So being dubbed the voice of the streets, the voice of the city, I want to uphold that. I want to keep it going as long as I can and keep on making my city proud, making my mom proud, making my dad proud, making my wife proud, making my brother proud, making my son proud, making my sister in heaven proud, just making everybody proud. For real. You just have to understand where Anjali comes from, where she came from, what she had to go through to get here. Everybody has a story and I don't discount anybody's story, but I have a story too. And I'm just, I'm grateful for it because it definitely molded me and made me into the voice of the streets and the voice of the city. And I just want to uphold that. It's a high standard because people look at you. Definitely not famous, but people see who you, they know who you are. So you have to uphold that in a righteous manner. And that's what I plan on doing, upholding it in a righteous manner. Where can people find you? You can find me everywhere. You can find me in the streets. <laughs> no, uh, we are, we have a little bit of music everywhere. We're on all streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Um, as far as performing, this is our fifth annual Black Friday show, which I am super excited about. Uh, we started it at the Love Jazz. Thank you to Mr. Doug Washington. He gave us our start. Uh, much respect for him. Uh, we did it there for about three years. Then we moved over to the Jewel. Uh, Mr. Brian McKenna, nothing but love and respect for him. He knows that. That's not a question at all. And now we are at the Holland Performing Arts Center. We are being sponsored by Omaha Performing Arts. And that, to me, is just a testament of doing stuff right. And to us, that is huge, huge. It's the Holland. I mean, I shouldn't really have to say much more than that. It's the Holland. Omaha Performing Arts is sponsoring a show by Anjali and Timeless. If you can't hear it in my voice, it, it, it's, it means so much to me that they would even have faith in us, uh, that they would even want to bring us in like that and allow us to be at the Holland. So I'm grateful. Like I said, and I, I keep saying it, I'm grateful for the journey because if it wasn't for the journey, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah, definitely find us November 25th, Black Friday at the Holland Performing Arts Center. And um, hoping for another sold out show at the Holland because <laughs> I'm excited. It's, yeah, so be, it'll be a reunion show. So all of the background singers that have ever been with us along the way, they'll be there along with, uh, I'm sure you know, Mitch Town and Andrew Bailey. They will be there with us as well. So we just plan on having fun and putting on a big show like we normally do. But at the Holland this year. <laughs> <laughs> bigger. Yeah, much bigger. Um, just try to let you go. I have to ask you, um, mm -hmm. because I am a sucker for a good love story. Yes. How did you meet Jasmine? Oh. How, how, how did that love story emerge? We'll make a 20-year story oh, really short. Because okay. she's, she's younger than me. Listen, um, I used to go to school with her sister. Went to school, um, been friends since junior high. Um, at that point in time, honey is what I call her. She was young, so it was just, she's just a kid running around the house. We grow up. I mean, we still see each other because, of course, her sister is one of my really good friends. Um, get older, and uh, I come back from uh, Denver, and I see her. And I'm like, oh, she's grown now. <laughs> you know, one of those moments. And uh, we just, it was just like that. We came together, and uh, girl gets girl. Girl loses girl because girl is stupid and does stupid things. Me, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely did stupid things. But the stupid things uh, 
made, showed me how much she meant to me, how much I really knew that she was the one. And I put one of those vulnerable moments, put myself out there because sometimes you have to be or you may miss the prize. And I didn't want to miss my prize. So I had to completely break down my walls, become very vulnerable to her and tell her what she really meant to me in a place where I'm not used to doing that. And um, we were able to rebuild. And we are in such a place of happy, both of us. It's, it's just crazy. And at this point, we've been married since August 6th of 22. We've been together since uh, right after my sister passed, 2015, once I moved back to Omaha. And um, like I said, it's that, it's that love story. Girl gets girl. Girl does stupid stuff, loses girl. And now girl has to humble herself to show girl how much she loves her and how much I want you and I want us to be together. And now we're married. There's a 20-year story in about two minutes. <laughs> and I get to say happy ever after. Yes, it is. And she, and she tends to think that we don't have a, like a love story, a romance story, because she's a hopeless romantic. But I'm like, really look at our road. From a place where we, we didn't even, you were out of a totally different range, age range than me. So we never had like a friendship type thing till we got older. And now been together since 2015 and married. And it's the best move I've ever made in my life. We're happy. That's my, that's my teammate. That's my partner. That's my best friend. And I had to learn that, how, why your partner has to be your best friend. And we are. And we work together so well. And we're just waiting to see what life blesses us with. My guest today has been singer and performer, Angelie Mitchell. Thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. I just, I keep saying it and it's because I mean it. Thank you. Uh, when I first met you, uh, you have such a spirit. It's just a good vibe that comes from you. So I appreciate you for having me. Uh, I've enjoyed sitting here just casually having a conversation with microphones in front of us because that's what it felt like. So I appreciate you having me. Lives is hosted and produced by me, Stuart Chittenden, and brought to you by KIOS, Omaha Public Radio. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.